Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we're thrilled to welcome to the show Olympian, AVP, and FIVB champion, USC head men's volleyball coach, and most importantly, my all-time favorite beach partner, Jeff Nagard. Jeff, thanks for joining us. John, I prefer just to go by Jeff. <laughs> I can do that. Thank you. So today, our topic is culture change. And just to give us a little background, can you fill us in on what the culture was like at USC when you first took I think it was four years ago? Well, this would be uh, going into my fifth year. And the culture of the team, I mean, it's an expansive topic, and there's a lot of different ways to, to look at it. But I think the most important thing is to kind of cut across not necessarily what USC was and what the, you know what was going on, but if you really are actively trying to do culture, I think you really need to have some strong analytics. You need to be able to sit down and take a good hard look at what it is, and then you need to measure that against where you want to get to. And then wherever the disparity is, you've got to bridge those gaps. And so, as you alluded to, uh, this is going into my fifth year. And even though I was an assistant coach and we got close a couple times, the ultimate goal is to win an NCAA title. Um, if you're just talking about the performance of the team. And then if we're not winning those titles, okay, what do we need to do to reach that goal? And so that set forth a number of agendas on my, on my behalf for, on, from what I was thinking of needed to happen. And it's going to take some time to get to meet that standard. And so Every year it's moving forward. Every year it's getting better. Every year it's, you know, I think this is about three or four years ago where I was talking to the seniors and it's like, we need to leave or have you guys imprint this with the legacy that you want. And it resounds through the years until we get it to where it needs to go. And I think last year's seniors did a real good job of having that voice, of having that sense of urgency, of looking at it and say, this is our last opportunity. We want to do the best that we can to leave the, the team in a better place than we found it. And on the other side of the coin, it's talking to the freshmen and it's kind of envisioning where you want this program to be in the four years and what are you going to do in order to make sure that that happens. So if you're talking about culture change, I think it starts with just taking a good, hard, honest look of what you really are and then measuring it, like I said, against where you want to get to. Where were you when you first came in? I mean, it's more than just where the team was. There was also some things that needed to be addressed with trust in the community and whatnot. And so, you know, the, one of the first things, I mean, John, you're a coach in the NCAA as well. So I mean, you've probably met the same things when you take over a program, you're given the opportunity to come in and just clean sweep, change scholarships, reshape the whole thing. But I elected to honor those commitments and show the trust with the guys that were already here and to build a program from that direction. Now, I've seen some of my contemporaries also take a look at that and they came in and they decided that, nope, they cleaned house, but I decided to continue on with what we had. So put me on a timeline that is, as most athletic directors look at, it's three to five years. Can be three to five years, depending on what the culture is and what the culture you want to be. And so every single year we've taken a look at it and you, know, you started with one thing and if you're really trying to build trust with people, you need to have some type of consistency and we tried to start the year with one direction and one voice, and this is how we want to do it. And we tried to stay consistent with it for that year. And at the end of the year, take a really good hard look and say, all right, where did we get to? 
And are we on our timeline and are we on our strategic plan? Are we moving forward the right direction? And so every year that I've been at this in this uh, position, severity, I, I guess you would say, of the things that we're addressing are always getting better. I mean, I think I heard somebody that's on this podcast once say, you're either getting better, you're getting worse. And clearly last year, we took a big step forward and getting better. The culture that you inherited, it was more reliant on one person to to lead the charge. And now the, the vision you've looked at is kind of developing a whole a whole team. Is that is that the approach? And if so, how are you doing that? I think that's a, a really a fairly accurate way of saying it. is like the, the teams that I've been a part of at SC that have had the best opportunity to win the title. Uh, I walked into Murphy Troy's senior year and then mm-hmm. we ended up taking third. And then the next year was Tony Torelli's senior year and we ended up taking second. And then the next best class I think that I, I was a part of was when uh, Micah Christensen won gold coming into his senior year. And we came in and I think we took, uh, well, we made it to the semifinals of the MPSF tournament. And then last year, we had a number of guys that were honored with uh, national recognition. And we had three strong pins. And we had a good performance with uh, Chris Hall at the setter's position. And we had a lot of guys buy in, had a lot of guys working hard. We had a lot of guys getting better with volleyball IQ and whatnot. So in my impression, it's like, it's great when you have that MVP caliber player. But in my experience, it's like, if you're not developing the rest of the team and bringing in guys that can compete on a day-to-day basis, yes, you have an opportunity to win with that player, but I don't think that that guarantees anything. What is the uh, what is the development involved? What does it look like? Well, you got to be a little bit strategic about who you're bringing in. You got to know where they are in terms of their development, and you got to nurture those relationships and put little challenges in front of them day to day. You got to give the opportunities. You got to give them in the gym, and this is where you are. You know the whole the whole gambit of working with them, developing them, um, imprinting them with the values necessary. That you know, if they come in with some great values and they just love to work hard. It just makes it a lot easier. If you find somebody that loves to do well and just in life, that person is going to probably come in and make an impact in a shorter amount of time. But everybody that you bring in, you're trying to be responsible for to get them to be better for the team. And the team comes first. So, but you would say these things that you value, they're teachable. And if so, can you think of like a way you have potted or, or something, yeah, a way that's been effective in getting someone to, kind of live out the values that you're looking for? Well, let's just take the uh, the concept of working hard, which for me, it's not even a question of working hard, especially when I try to think back in my time when I was this age. And this is actually a conversation I've been having recently with a number of people. It's like, I've had some success in volleyball. And when I was in college, what I find interesting now, there's all kinds of these, you know, everybody has a shirt or a saying or, you know, some type of motivation or this song or all that stuff. I mean, I'll tell you the secret to my success back in college is I, I did what I was told to do. Um, coach said, go run this. I ran that. If a weight coach gave me this workout, it's like I did that. Coach said, you need to go get a kill. Uh, that's what I tried to do. And it seemed to work pretty well. So it was pretty simple that you just did what the coaches told you to do. And maybe it's also a credibility of coach or playing where I did because he'd won so many titles. Uh, coach Skates I'm talking about. 
but I don't know if there's a secret pathway to that. Now, I mean, you can take a look at that, and I personally look at it and say, is that results-based? And it, quite frankly, is, well, yeah, I mean, the team, that team that I played on, we were about winning national titles. Now, does that mean that that's results only? It's like, well, no, in my mind, in order to achieve that, the values necessary is things like sacrificing and working hard and putting in the effort and being resilient and being competitive and trusting the guy next to you, respecting what their job is, knowing your job. I mean, all those little things. So I'm kind of getting all over the map here, but um, getting back to just working hard, that's kind of a village effort of this is the talking point. This is what we expect. We got to push them and motivate them and get them going on a day-to-day basis. But you have to show with your actions that that's what you're doing. And then you got to make sure that your weight coach is imprinting them with that. And then, you know, as you check down to everything that has an impact on your team, trying to get everybody on the same page with the vision of the program of where you're trying to get it and how you're trying to get it there. And then uh, once you get all those momentum pieces in place, the culture blossoms from there. And Jeff, thinking back to UCLA days, was that just your personality to do as you were told or was there something skates or the coaching staff did to create that buy-in? I'd like to take a lot of credit for it, but the fact of the matter is, is one grandpa was a Marine and a Marine drill sergeant and the other one was in charge of juvenile hall back in the day. So it wasn't a question, and this is how my mom describes it. It wasn't a question of being told discipline. It was, she never once remembers being punished back in the day. Their team, their, their family philosophy was just, if, if one person was working, you're all working until it's done right. There, there wasn't even a question. There was never a moment in her, her life where she had to ask, is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It's just, that's just what it was. So I'm not going to pretend to be elevated in any sense of the word. It's just if that was the expectation, that's what you just did. It's kind of like if you wanted to get to school in the morning, you got to shovel the car out. There wasn't a good job, bad job. It just was. But then do you find athletes now, and I hate the idea like athletes nowadays, but I guess that's the right phrase. But I mean, are, are people raised that way? Are people able to be that maybe compliant or disciplined? Sure. Well, they absolutely. Are. Well, you come across it all the time. I think that's even a bigger philosophical question is like who you are as a coach and what your vision is. You're trying to find people that fall into that. And if you get a whole team that is exactly what you're looking for, you're probably going to have a lot of success under the system that you have. So then the question then becomes, well, does that make it easy? But I mean, of course, I don't know how many times in a 40 year career, you're going to have the perfect storm of everything hitting and coming into place. So that begs the question is like, all right, so if you have 40 years career and you only have one team that you totally jive with and everything goes perfectly, what are you doing the other 39 years? So you better continue to develop all those things. And have you, have you gotten pushback along the way from, from athletes with what you're trying to do? Um, that's a question of how I've conveyed the message, what I'm looking for, how good at communication I was, how consistent I've been. And on their side, how do they hear the message? How do they interpret it? How do they internalize it? What are they on the inside? You know, all those different things. So has there been pushback? Sure. In fact, I kind of, I, I actually like a little pushback in a certain way because 
if you've never really thought about something before, if you've never thought about a skill, and then I come up and I ask you a few questions about it, and it's just a different style, whatnot. I like coming to a, a common ground between the two of us so that we can evolve together. Jeff, uh, you mentioned hard work. Um, if you have a freshman coming in, how would you describe the culture that you're attempting to instill right now to them? Like, is there a way you could give them a picture of what you're looking for and what you want your team to look like? Well, I'd probably put some goals in front of them that I want the team GPA to be a 3.1 or above. I would like to consistently contend for national titles. I mean, I want to be a sustainably great championship culture. I expect everyone to work and earn everything that they're going, trying to get, whether it's travel squad or playing on the, on the floor night to night, representing the team. Um, I don't really like talking in terms of um, becoming an all American or any of that stuff that to me is fairly, I mean, it's great when it happens, but that's not a pursuit in my mind. Um, your job is to do the best you can night after night, be consistent with your output. You got to be consistent as, as a performer. You have to work hard in practice. You have to be able to handle the weights, the workload. Um, and then there's little things like we got to be able to communicate. We have to respect the guy next to us. We have to help each other get better. So sure. That's actually what's great about doing recruiting in my mind, where it's a full cycle. Uh, let's say you uh, land a kid early, you get to communicate with them before they even get here. And then they get to communicate with some of their contemporaries and, you know, that whole thing just blossoms where they're already preloaded with quite a bit, which is great. So would you say now you're, you know, going into your fifth year, do you have the culture where you want it to be? And if, if not, are there steps you still want to take? I think the culture definitely took a big step forward last year. Um, I don't really address, we need a culture change. We need a culture change anymore because I like a lot of the things that we have. I like um, where a lot of the support staff is, um, you know, the weight coach, the training room, they're doing a great job. Our, um, you know, our assistant SID, our SID, all those, all of that stuff is up and running and going the right way, going the right direction. The guys that are coming in and the guys that are already here are already excited about what it is and what the expectation is. And they're bought in and they're doing a nice job for us and working hard, which is great. So it, you know, there's some, uh, wisdom in the athletic directors when they were talking to you about coming in saying it takes three to five years to get where you need to get to. And now they're looking at it and saying, you got your feet under you and things look are, are very promising. So it's not that I ever abandoned that conversation, but it's not something I need to key on because I like a lot of the stuff that's happening right now. And in the, I know the recruiting process is a big part of, you know, developing the, the identity of your team. So what are you doing to, to make sure you know, you're, you're finding the right people for your, your philosophy, for your program. Well, John, you know, this is the NCAA. We can't talk that specifically about recruiting. <laughs> uh, well, from, from a, broad, a broad standpoint, is there anything uh, that you look to identify? Well, if you can step into a gym and recognize, you know, who's talented, who works hard, who has the intangibles, um, who has great hand-eye coordination, who has high contact point, all that stuff. I mean, you know, you're looking for the complete package, of course. And then, obviously, there's a bunch of other requirements for a school like USC in terms of, okay, what do we need for that, that student athlete? All that good stuff. 
you know, that just is due diligence and uh, developing relationships, which uh, that, that's a big portion of what happens as well. And what do you mean by intangibles? What are some of the things that might fly under the radar that make a person uh, a winner? You know, <clears throat> I've had this conversation recently also is that at one point I remember I went into, uh, I went into this big tournament and I'd heard of a, a name and I go to watch this team and this guy was their number three, number four option. And I'm, it was a little confusing. I like the dialogue that a team um, has when they compete. So I was expecting this guy to be dominant and do all this stuff, but he was more than just a role player. And so I was a little baffled. And then I, you know, I had to come away with a different interpretation of what was going on or what I heard. And by contrast, if you watch another team and you're thinking, well, that's the big guy, that's the big guy. And they in crunch time is setting the guy that you never expected and they keep doing it. And then you start watching that guy and he's their go-to guy every single opportunity. You're starting to say, maybe the team knows something that nobody else does. And so you got to start paying attention. I said, well, that's not, that's not what I would have expected. And this is a conversation I had with Riley Salmon in the last, uh, last time I saw him is that if you were to put him in a room with all of your prototypical next level um, outsides, I personally would look at him and I go, you wouldn't have assumed that that was the gold medalist. You wouldn't have picked that guy. And so the, clearly there's something going on there in a guy like a Riley Salmons that's more than meets the eye. And what is that thing? And he found a way to peak at the right time to compete for a spot. He was a starter for the U.S. national team, and he helped them win a gold medal. But is he, um, is he like a guy, what, I can't think of his name, like the opposite from Italy? I don't know, Zaitsev? Like you look at Zaitsev and you're like, yeah, that guy's going to be good. But there's some just guys out there that find a way to get it done that defy certain types of ways of looking at them. And they bring things to the table that you just ordinarily wouldn't say. It's like Karsh Karai, in my, from what I've heard, was not a starter at one point until somebody made mention that this guy is winning 75% of the drills and nobody's even close to that. So he's doing something. And then, you know, they put him out there and they just kept on winning. Yeah. And have, uh, were there any big changes tactically um, or with, with technique um, that led to your success this last season? Were there any big changes you made? Well, we've been developing an offense, a defensive strategy, all those types of different things. And I hate using the word innovative style, but there's definitely some things that we've put into play the last couple of years that has evolved. And that was basically a goal of, if you look at the top teams in the nation, what their hitting percentages, what their efficacy is, you know, what type of uh, routes they run and all that stuff and how it goes and uh, how does it contribute to their success? So, you know, when I started, I think our team was hitting around 220 and then that jumped to 240 and that hit to 270. And now last year we were at 320. So, um, we're getting some real good momentum in the right direction with some of that consistency and just off, you know, offensive output. I'd like to be able to serve more consistently. I'd like to block more balls, but defensively we're, we're capable of doing some really good things too. Was there anything that, specific sorry. that led to such a big increase on the hitting percentage? Well, I got to pick one. I don't know. Anything that would maybe help some other coaches that you've learned from that big of a jump? 
That's a great question. I mean, I'll, I'll give you this one. That last year when we just did warm-up hitting, it's one of the things that just you're watching it happen and it's mystifying. And then you, you realize that you have to downshift a little bit and go, we need to address this. And the simple thing was, is there would be a number of guys that just didn't warm up hitting with nobody blocking that they're hitting the ball out or in the net. And that had to actually be addressed. It's like, guys, that's not acceptable on any level. Nobody at the net, even though you're warming up, you got to hit the ball in the court. And that actually grew some awareness for a couple of players or even more players that, yeah, that isn't acceptable to where it was not serious time. It was, yeah, we're just warming up, but I don't, who cares if it's warming up or not? Hit the ball in the court. So then you guys are hitting the court in warm-ups more, but uh, you, had a, you had a successful season. And I'm, I'm guessing there's more challenges you know, after that. I think sometimes maybe you're a little hungrier after a tough season. So what do you see as the challenges coming off such a good year? Well... Right out of the gate, we graduated five seniors, all of which contributed a lot, all of which got a lot of playing time. So by any metric, we're going to just be younger and we're not going to have the same type of uh, game time experience that we just uh, had on the court last year. But I mean, that's just the nature of the attrition. So we're going to have a bunch of new guys going to, well, not new guys, but guys are going to go out and I think get that experience in real time. It's the only way to really get it. Um but I think that if you peel back the layer of the onion, I think we've got far more guys willing to fly around on defense and just um, pursue and go after it and communicate at a higher level. I think that a lot of the values that we're putting into play is going to bubble to the surface. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited for this uh, next group to get to work with. Um, it's going to be fun. I mean, they're going to be a good group of guys. I know they like to compete. I know they like to work hard, and uh, that's a pretty good recipe. So we'll we'll see what happens. Cool. And let's move into your playing career. Um, speaking of <laughs> intangibles and tangibles, uh, you were su- successful at all levels: college, national team, on the beach. What do you think you did really well that led to your success? I like to set. I was a good setter. You were a good setter. I tried. I, well, I mean, I mean, John. Not, John has a really big window, but well, yeah. It's, you just throw the ball above the net, and that guy, the little sand flea, is going to put the ball away. That was fun. <laughs> I think I played with every left-handed hitter on the in the entire AVP. <laughs> well, what about indoors? Did that help you being a good setter? I mean, you you played middle. Well, yeah. Bear in mind, I played um, different time. prior to the libero, so I was the second setter at. at all the time. Like if the, the setter dug the ball, I was the one that dished the ball. So, I mean, I love setting. I was a setter in high school. So, I mean, I was actually just being a little um, off the cuff with that remark, but it also brings up a, a, a much larger thing is that being an all around volleyball player is a dying art. In my opinion, you just don't see many guys that are skilled at every single skill, except like the top players. So, I mean, how often nowadays do you see a setter digging the ball purposefully to the middle to set the ball, or do they shovel it all the way across the court to the libero, who's going to set the long distance back to the opposite? Which, okay, but 
back in my day, I actually was looking to run an offense when I was setting. And is that something you've incorporated with your team? Do you have your middles work on setting? Do you have, do you try to make all around players out of them? Well, when I first got here, it was the middles were known as the goon squad and I was a middle. So I um, didn't really care for that. In my opinion, you're not a middle, you're a volleyball player who plays in the middle. And so instantly I'm like, no, we're working on defense. We're looking on serving. We're working on setting. We're working on bump setting. We're working on passing. Let's make you guys volleyball players. Let's work on all these things because it could be a game changer if that one out of the 12 opportunities, like one time after the middle serves, they go and play defense. If they dig three balls a night and you convert three points, that's unbelievable. And it's also it's like, I personally don't care for when there's a guy on the court who does something and everyone just starts blowing up because they've never seen the guy do it before. I mean, that kind of implies that that guy's terrible at that skill. But it's a momentum shifter if all of a sudden the middle's out there and he's just digging every single opportunity, the ball's hitting anywhere near him. Because if you get that, that guy can serve a ton of points, score a bunch of points, and it's deflating for the other team. So we better get good at it. Why, why do you think you like to set so much? What is it about setting? Um, what do I like about setting? Yeah, why was that your first response? Um... I started as a setter, and I don't know. It's just if my, I was thinking, my guess was that you're you're kind of you're unselfish, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, no, I like that word, John. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, well, no, but I mean, if you really think about what separates the top AVP guys from the the rest of the pack, it's if you're going to boil it down to one, it's transition setting. Yeah. If you could, I mean, there's guys out there that's going to dig, eight, you know, a hundred balls a single game. But if they only have one or two real good sets out of those opportunities, it's like, well, that's a lot of effort for not much. But you know, I think that's what's. I mean, there's a lot of things about Phil that sets him apart. But you put Jake in there, and that guy sets pretty darn good in transition and has done it for a long time. So his his um, partner gets to put a lot of balls away in transition. So what are some of the keys to setting on the beach and maybe transition setting especially? Well, if you're talking about setting on the beach, you got to work hard, get it behind the ball, set the line so your body language tells your partner where it needs to go. There needs to be good levels of communication so that, you know, whether it's an audible in front, in front, or shoot it or something like that, there's got to be some type of communication to confirm where the route is so that, because typically if you're coming down off the block and you're running off the court to go somewhere, you're not sure where that guy's going to be. And best guess doesn't get it done. You got to solidify it. It's like middle, middle, middle. It's like, okay, I can do that. And then that's how that, that should work in my opinion. I think you and I actually got pretty good at that sort of a thing. Yeah, you were good at it. <laughs> well, I mean, I can't transition set without something happening first, John. <laughs> That was fun to hit off your sets for sure. Um, so I'm going to take me back to uh, 2004. Uh, you're playing with Dane Blanton the season um, leading up to the Olympics. Yep. How would you describe that lead up? The, I mean, the Olympics are usually like midsummer, so you guys are um, probably played, what, 10, 12 events going into it. Where were you guys at as a team? 
Well, I was playing with a gold medalist, and the year before, there was a lot going on in terms of. Uh, here's what I like playing with uh, with Dane is like we had a common language in terms of it was both indoor based. Like when I played with Dax, there wasn't the same level of communication that I understood because I would make a I'd make a gaff. I, you know, I'd, I'd pull on a play where I shouldn't have. And I'd look at it. Well, tell me what it is that you know that I don't. And, he, and you know, he'd look at like, well, the sand and the sun with the wind and the angle. It's like, what, why'd you do that? And I'm like, I have no idea what you just told me. <laughs> Whereas when I played with Dane, it's like we both had an indoor conversation about things and it made more sense. So when I'd get to finals with Dane, everything about it made sense for me. And I'm only talking about me here. But when I played with Dax, we'd be in all these finals, and I had literally no idea how we got there. Which, you know, that's for me to work on. I was, I was still pretty stoked to be in finals whenever I was, and, you know, I always wanted to compete to win basically every point. So uh, that was good. So going into the Olympics is like we felt confident that we had qualified for the Olympics just based on our 2003 performance. But um, we had not put together a real good term. In fact, I think we, well, I don't think we won our first tournament and then had some really good performances at other ones, but we hadn't recaptured that, uh, that form or that level of performance in a tournament again, and then went through the Olympics and didn't click and it went far too quick and then went back to Chicago to where, um, I'm not going to say the pressure was off. It was more of a deliberate choice on my part to just be more aggressive with a lot of different things. And then we ended up winning that tournament. And that was very, you know, I'm always happy to win, but it was extremely bittersweet that um, my mental decision to just be more aggressive about, especially blocking, um, turned a corner. And it was a tough lesson for me. So in the lead up to the Olympics and, and at the Olympics, was there anything else you would have done differently in terms of like your guys' partnership or was it more just that decision to be more aggressive at the net? Well, you have to bear in mind that I took second in a, a national title game. So everything about the season, in my opinion, opinion could be questioned. So, and then I've won national titles and I kind of looked at it as like, oh, I didn't play that great or I should have done this, this, and this. So I'm always looking at it as through a critical lens. There's a number of different times during that where looking back now, now knowing what I know, that I could have or should have done something different or said something different or, you know, made a point at this point or, you know, handled it differently. And then going into Chicago with just that little change and realizing what that little change could have amounted to, man, I don't want to look back with regret, but there's some things that I've learned from that that have benefited me in this role. Hmm. Yeah, it was an amazing thing to see that. I mean, I was just watching it more as a fan, but the lead up, you could see you guys weren't where you wanted to be and the Olympics didn't go how you wanted. And then all of a sudden a week later in Chicago, you guys <laughs> play free and look like a different team. And it was just that simple. The change that you made, it sounds like. Uh, it was in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not going to say it was the pressure of the Olympics. It was, you know, a lot of internal pressure and I have a healthy respect for what he's accomplished and what he did in the gold medal and to win the gold medal. And part of me probably took a deferential uh, role in that relationship and right. 
assumed that, oh my God, it's like, you've won a gold. I haven't. I'm going to just listen, which looking back, and it, I, I can't say this is 100% accurate or true. It's just maybe wishful thinking is that we had a lot of success when I didn't do that and was just aggressive and playing a, a different game. So um, a tough lesson to learn. But So, so just so I understand, when you say the lesson is like don't, for yourselves, like don't hold back, like make sure you go out and be you? Well, there's that, but also take those opportunities where if you have that built up frustration, say something, get in the communication, make a difference in when it could be a relevant thing. You, you can't just wait and sit back and not talk about things or not work on the relationship or you know, bring things to the forefront. But it's also probably more accurate to say that if you have that gut feeling for some reason, you're going to have to take a moment, look at it, think about what it is, and then see if there's something that bears fruit from listening to it. And uh, Jeff, if you see some of your players maybe getting tight or feeling the pressure of big matches, um, I guess how would you get them to play more free or what would that conversation sound like? I remember my first year, um, this was again Murphy Troy's senior year, I guess they, what they had done is in their sophomore year, because there was a big senior class, but in their sophomore year, they had made it to the finals and I think they lost in five. So, I mean, they were, they were close. And then the next year they came back and I, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think they were something like 16 and 11 or maybe even 11 and 16. They just really underperformed, probably just had that expectation of, oh, we're going to win the title for sure. Which, and then all kinds of issues came from that. And so I came back in. I, I didn't come back in. I came in for my first year. And I remember a practice that we had, and it just felt wrong. It felt off. And I'd been hearing that there was this internal angst, this kind of, I don't want to say infighting, but there was definitely some, some issues to be handled. And I remember getting the platform just to step in front of the guys and I go, all right, so I've been hearing about this, this, and this. I've been hearing about that. I mean, you know, all these problems, this, this, and this. And I just look and I was like, so is this it? Like, is this, is this as bad as it gets for you guys? Is this what we're dealing with when we're talking about this? Cause I'm just kind of curious. I wasn't here that last year or the year before I'm here now. So how's this, how does this measure up to what I'm hearing? And they're all like, yeah, this is it. And I'm like, really? Is it, this is it? This is as bad as it gets, huh? Because if this is as bad as it gets, I'm going to tell you guys this is cute. This is just flat out cute how, how all worked up about not much you are. Guys, we're fine. You're fine. He's fine. There's some things to work through for sure. Great. Otherwise, what's the point of the coaches? So we're good. <laughs> Does that work? Uh, well, I mean, we didn't win the title, but we were really successful that year and you know i'm not about to sit here and say well because i had that speech we won a lot of matches but in that moment i you know wow what's what's the angst guys there really isn't a big problem here i've, I've been through that exact same thing so that to me is why i got into coaching is that i've had a lot of great experiences i've been coached i've been through a lot of different things and there's not much that comes up that i haven't had experience with so when it gets to playing time it's like Oh, we're down a few points in the semifinals of this. Oh, okay, we're fine. Let's just go do this. So other than being left-handed, what do you think are important factors when considering choosing a beach partner? 
Well, there it goes again. You got to know what you are, what you bring to the table, and then you got to pay attention to what the other guys out there are and what do they bring to the table. So I think the best way to go about it is you got to go compete with somebody to find out what they really are like and how you really measure up and how you really need to go about it. And then how does that ego work from there? Are you willing to find out the weaknesses and figure out a way to win with them and all your strengths? Are you willing to stick it out? Is it always a jump ship scenario? Because, I mean, the bottom line is on the beaches, and this might be a harsh reality for certain people, is that you're basically an independent contractor or a mercenary, and you're trying to do everything you can to win tournaments. And depends on your motivation. But for me, it was paying my mortgage and being a professional athlete. So you didn't uh, have any tearful breakups with partners? No. <laughs> Shocker. I was crying, Jeff. No, you weren't. I was on the phone with you. You said, that's it? I go, yeah, I mean, we can handle this maturely. Do you want it to be harder? You're like, no. I'm like, okay. I think we'll be fine, John. And then you went and beat me the next tournament. <laughs> I was so pissed. Um, all right, you, so You were no, pissed you beat me? <laughs> I was so pissed that you dropped me that I had to go beat you. No, I don't think that's the case. So you played in three Olympics, two indoors, one on the beach. Yep. Would, you say, would you say those were the highlights of your playing career? No. Not at all. I've had a lot of highlights. I like to pay attention to what I'm doing, and I knew I wasn't going to do it for the rest of my life, and so I was actually pretty aware of where I was traveling, which cultures I was being in, which food I was eating, what trip I was on, how many different countries I was traveling to, who I was playing with how long it was going on for, what's my next step. The Olympics were amazing, but I also liked, um, I think it was Isaiah Thomas that said, if the only thing that he's known for is playing basketball, then he's had a crappy life. Mm. Would you say that athletes, especially, you know, we're in the beach world, would, would you say they overvalue the Olympics and miss out on that journey? Oh, I'm not trying to devalue the Olympics. They're amazing. Yeah. And it is the high point of a volleyball player's um, existence, but you remember Tom Sorensen? Yep. It took me a good 20 years to appreciate this, but after we lost in 96, I come into the locker room, I chuck my bottle just as, you know, whatever he walks in and he goes, well, there's worse things. <laughs> and I'm like, what? We just lost the Olympics. And I'm like, yeah, well, there's worse things. <laughs> And it's kind of amazing every now and then where a young man walks in the office and something tragic has happened. And it's like, no, 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 dude, this is volleyball. Go take care of you. Go take care of what needs to be done. Whatever help I can do. Let's, let's, let's get that in the right order. And, you know, the volleyball will take care of itself. Now, I mean, it's an interesting thing to say that, you know, I want you to work hard and pursue your this, this, and this. But at the same time, it's like, there's life out there. And, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's pluralistic or maybe it's ironic or maybe it's hypocritical, but I've made my life with volleyball and I'm forever grateful for it. But at the same time, it's like, listen, if you got to go do that, because that's that's the most important thing here, go do that. So if you don't want to be known as just a volleyball player, what are some other things you're currently passionate about? Um, I just ran electrical to my man cave shed in the backyard and I uh, hope by the time I get home, it's working. I've got what's in the man. Cave? I, I do. Well, I got three amazing kids that 
my two daughters are with my parents for about 10 days and we flew them out by themselves and just watching them go and be an independent and real people and making decisions and, you know, failing now and again, but being there for them to help guide them in certain spaces, but letting them make decisions has been a great journey. And I love that piece. Um, that's not to say my son doesn't fall into that category, but he's four. So he seems to have potential. <laughs> not uh, sure yet. Well, I mean, he's four. <laughs> my wife is the, an amazing person and she's on a great journey and um, the evolution of us. I mean, we were just on a vacation up to Big Sur and there was a moment where the kids literally just looked at us and said, hey, can we go wash the dishes? And they didn't say this part, but all I heard was, we're going to go wash the dishes once you guys kick back. But that's what we did. My wife and I were just like, what just happened? <laughs> And the kids, even the four-year-old, went over and scrubbed pots and pans. And we just sat there and just, like, sat by the fire for a little bit. And then we were at the beach for a little bit. And they went off and played for, like, an hour and a half. And my wife and I, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to talk? So those are things that we're passionate about. That sounds like a, a pretty cool culture that you've built in with your family. I'm not about to sit there and say we've made it or everything's smooth sailing, but there's been some pieces to it recently in particular that's we've we've moved the needle forward in a lot of different metrics. So the summer's been really cool for discovery and you know it's kind of interesting the spectrum as uh, as one of them and I'm not saying good or bad either direction but my wife is you know oh my god it's been 12 years where have the time gone and I'm looking at my watch going six more years six <laughs> more sweetheart <laughs> so I mean two story man cave um Jeff thanks so much for chatting with us and I guess best of luck this coming season had enough of me. Huh? All right. Well, I appreciate your time, fellas, and uh, congratulations on being published and finding a way to make Creative Club and continue on with that. It's been um, it was fun being with you and Dane Selznick and competing with you and against you. All right. So we're going to uh, get you out of retirement. You and me. You want to play Manhattan Beach? Get nope. one more in. Nope. Uh, no. <laughs> Turn the corner, Johnny. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Jeff. Thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Hopefully it was what you were looking for. <laughs> it was you. Uh, well, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>